Hi, I'm Riyal Safi and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. Remember to subscribe to the YouTube channel, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and in that way you'll never miss another episode. COVID-19 has taught us to press the pause button and reflect on life and be grateful for all that we have. As many people are praying for what you have in life, they say they are givers and takers. And as Marlo Thomas said, the takers may eat better, but the givers sleep better. In this episode, I catch up with Hasina Kathrada, a communications consultant, a runner, ambassador for Women for Change in South Africa, and Africa Muslim Agency. Hasina recently traveled to Lebanon, and today we chat to her about her experiences and the lessons that she's learned from her trip. Hi, Asina, and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. Hello, Riaz, and thank you so much for having me. It certainly is a pleasure. Now, I must confess, I remember you as a newsreader on TV. It must have been a long journey for you. If you were to take a step back and reminisce, share with us some of those memories. Sure, it really <laughs> was a long time ago. Um, so I studied journalism um, straight after school and I got my degree uh, in journalism at Rhodes University in the early 90s. Um, I then worked for a community-based newspaper, which I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, The Indicator. Yes, of and, course. And uh, veteran journalist, I mean, Echowire. Mm-hmm. I worked at the newspaper for a year thinking that, you know, my career was meant to be in newspaper, in print journalism, um, because that's what I'd specialized in at university. Uh, but, it, you know, I think my expectations were, you know, not not met in, in that initial year. Um, I wasn't excited about print print media at the time. Um, and I started looking at other avenues of journalism and I, the second year of my career, started working at the SABC in broadcast journalism and in particular in TV news. Mm-hmm. And most of my experience has been in TV news, in TV production. Um, I did take two um, breaks from from broadcast journalism. One was to work on um, a project for news for children mm-hmm. in Africa, yes. uh, which was quite exciting and you know quite new. We started the first uh, news program for children in South Africa, um, and then did training in Zambia, Indonesia. Um, you know, starting up children's news programs with the NGO called Free Voice. Um, my second break uh, that I took was when I had a stint at radio, uh, community radio and uh, Islamic radio, when I worked for Channel Islam International for about six months. Um, wow. And then eventually, um, about a year and a half ago, two years almost, um, I started my own communications company and decided that I wanted to do have more freedom to work on different projects. And that's how my communications company came about. Yeah, I remember also having studied communications. One of the things that I've learned always is when you write as well, they said always write and communicate 
in a way that if your grandmother were to read what you wrote or said, she'll understand. And that was something that always uh, stuck in my mind. Exactly. You know, we often forget who we're writing for. Um, and sometimes we ourselves don't understand, you know, coined phrases. Yes. Um, and we use them. And recently, um, I was doing some health communications and I interviewed a doctor and he said to me, you know, I'm so happy. Um, he was telling me about his experience with COVID um, at the hospital in Cape Town. And he said, yes, you know, there is so much distress and uh, pain that we've all experienced during this pandemic. But one of the things that he was so grateful for was that People in the street knew what comorbidities meant. And absolutely, you know, when the Minister of Health first used the word comorbidities, I was like, what? <laughs> and, you know, as time passed, it was so frequently used. And, and you know, we, 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 we had to find out, okay, what exactly is a comorbidity? So, with you know, with communications and especially with children's news, I found myself learning so much because I would always ask, "Oh, okay, what is what does that actually mean? How do I explain that to a child?" And another thing is that um, you know, when it comes to children, children are are very honest and uh, in their responses, and would you know give you the best answers um, and ask the you know the very pertinent and very interesting questions. Um, so I think I learned a lot from, from the children. Yes, and also uh, another thing, uh, I mean, I have uh, two nephews as well. And from that perspective, uh, it's amazing how they learn things without judging, etc. And, and And that's a great form of learning and asking questions where we come with preconceived ideas about things and situations, I think that's a difference, perhaps. Yes, definitely. You know, um, so news stories are often told, you know, um, in a certain way. And um, for instance, if we talk about Palestine and what you read in mainstream media um, or you talk about, um, you know, there, there's a lot of... Uh, usage of words like uh, Islamic extremists or um, infiltrators. Um, and if you're really telling the Palestinian story, um, it becomes then an added responsibility to make sure that you're explaining, you know, things in context and you explaining and you giving historical background um, and, you know, you have to make use of others, uh, like, for instance, uh, animations and graphics um, to actually make children understand what a situation is really all about. Um, even something like, you know, a storm um, or a natural disaster, um, it becomes important to actually uh, make children understand how people are affected at the end of the day every story at the at the at the heart of every story is a person and people make you know there are people involved and i think you know sometimes we forget when we get into a news rut 
that it's actually people that we are talking about and it's people that are affected and you know the approach is 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 so important now a question i always wanted to ask you and it's something totally unrelated with this are you actually related to the late mr amit kathrada he's not my father so <laughs> <laughs> you know did think um we are related um yes but oh. you know not, uh, extremely closely um but obviously um you know uncle kathy remained a huge inspiration and influence throughout my life um growing up uh, as well and um you know i'm very proud uh, you know uh, there there's a joke that, that i'll tell you about yes. that when i was doing the news uncle kathy said oh so there's another katrada now that's getting more famous than me <laughs> <laughs> and of course you know, i was uh, nowhere near his uh, levels of um, you know of of people knowing him and the you know his his contribution to 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 our struggle and uh, the impact he made on people but i was i remain extremely proud to be you know associated with him present you a communications consultant and you spoke about the company a bit earlier tell us a bit more about the work you involved in okay so i i at the time i you know when i started the company i felt like i wanted diversity and i wanted uh, a little bit more freedom to explore different um, you know avenues of 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 my work um so what i do is i have um clients that want their profiles raised or companies that want media expertise and that's the kind of service that i provide um it hasn't been too long but uh, it's 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 going well it started off well and it's going well and i'm really you know grateful that throughout covid that i've managed to continue working and uh, you know one of my big uh, moments when i realized that this is what i want to do and i was um approached by the doha debates it's um the doha debates is produced by the qatar foundation yes. they're based in the united states and they produce um six productions um live tv productions a year in different countries oh. on different subjects so i was approached to produce for them um in 2019 um they had they hosted the doha debates in cape town and the issue was water scarcity mm-hmm. at the time you know cape town was going through its water shortages so the guests that the doha debates brings to the country that they're hosting in are international guests and they bring in a production team from overseas and it's really you know um it's live streamed um ENCA carried the debate live here in south africa and the doha debates actually does some amazing work um you know with podcasts and um 
they also produce um, material for tertiary institutions, for schools, and um, the whole idea of of the the debate is actually not to 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 you know oppose one another, but to actually engage. And the concept, the Middle Eastern concept of the majlis is used where you have a moderator and you have people with opposing views and you come together to discuss and to find solutions and to move forward. Um, It's really um, a project that I enjoyed and, you know, and that's what got me started, I think, uh, going on my own, um, that I could work on projects like that. Sounds amazing. I'm going to check that out for sure. I have been following you on social media, and that's how I learned about your recent trip to Lebanon and thought it would be great for us to catch up and uh, chat to you about your experiences. Now, you were actually part of this women's delegation with the African Muslim Agency that rolled out a campaign. When? And how did you decide to be part of this project? Okay, so I, you know, I've been, I followed one of the women on the group um, on Instagram and she'd been on a previous delegation. And I looked at the work that they did in, it was the de- a delegation that went to Lebanon. And I sent a message, it was a couple of months ago, and I sent a message and I said, you know, um, if ever an opportunity arises where, you know, there's a, another group that goes, um, will you please consider me? And the way it works is that you go as a volunteer. Yes. Uh, you pay your own way, but you go with Africa Muslims Agency and you meet their team on the ground in Lebanon and everything is arranged, the itinerary is arranged. Um, they do amazing work in Lebanon on the ground. Their team works really hard there. Um, so they they took care of the logistics and we went as a group. I lost my mom last year in August and you know I, I've been struggling a little bit and doing a lot of introspection and I felt they were, you know, I wanted to do, do something that would, you know, give Bring me back. some kind of fulfillment. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'll just take a little bit, um, a minute or less even to tell you, um, you know, about my mother and why this trip is related to her. Yes, so, please do. My mom was really, uh, you know, very kind person and very, you know, friendly. And it wasn't, there was no limit or there was no boundary to the type of person, to the type of people she would engage in. So my mom would always reach out to the underdog. It was always, you know, the the little children that... I mean, she lived on, in Durban on the beach run, so it was always, if she went for a walk downstairs, it was always the kids that were, you know, um, homeless there, that were just hanging around there, that she would, you know, reach out to, or, you know, anyone that she felt didn't have enough 
um, she always reached out to them and, you know, kind of had this um, amazing capacity and empathy towards other people. And, you know, often I, 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 I was a little harsh with her and would say, you know, we'd be at a robot and my mom would roll down the window <laughs> and want to, you know, um, give money to the kids that were, you know, standing at the robots. And I'd tell her, mom, you know, this is Joburg. It's dangerous. Like, you know, you can't just roll down the window here. Yes. And she would say, oh, shame. But, you know, and, and after she passed on, I just kept feeling the sense that, you know, it like her heart, it was something about a heart that was so special and I wanted to do something and I felt like I needed to feel something, you know, I wanted, I wanted that softness and I wanted that tenderness that she had, you know, that she had. Um, and the thing is, you know, everybody kept saying, you know, you look just like your mom, you look just like your mom. And I would think mm -hmm. about it and say, you know, I wish I was like her in the sense where I cared as much as she did for other people. And I was affected as much as she was by the plight of other people. And, you know, she never kept anything for herself. I mean, if she had stuff, it was always like, you know, she was giving stuff away all the time. So by the time she passed away, there wasn't anything that she had clung to and that, you know, like how we keep things and say, you know, I'm going to keep this and I'm going to use this when this day arrives. She wasn't that kind of person. And like, I felt like I was where I would keep like, oh, there's certain dishes I'm going to use on a certain special occasion. And my mom wasn't like that. And I felt like I want, it was something that I needed to experience to, and I felt like this was the right time to do it. And so I then was approached by Africa Muslim Agency to say there's a delegation, women's delegation going and in like three weeks time. And if you, you know, are you keen to do it? And first I thought, okay, let me go as a, as a media person, you know, let me go and um, write about it. And for the sole purpose of, yeah, raising awareness and, um, you know, coming back and doing media stuff. And then I actually then decided, slept over it and thought, no, I'm not, I don't want to go as a journalist. I want to go as me and I want to experience this for me. Um, and that's what I did. And it was different in the sense, you know, I, I've been off going out and, and, and knowing that you're coming back to report on this or you're going to be there and you're going to report from there on the situation um, it took that it took that pressure away from me and allowed me to experience what I was seeing and what I was feeling as just myself mm -hmm. um, and of course I you know I did share my some of my experiences on social media yes. and that was that was just my personal experience. And, you know, funny enough, <clears throat> so many people, you know, contacted me and said, you know, they really enjoyed that kind of thing. And all I did was, you know, 
just tell a little story with some photos. That's amazing. I must be honest with you. That's how come I picked the story up. Uh, I follow Catherine as well. So I interviewed her a couple of months back. So I saw her posting and then your post as well. So I thought it'd be great for us to catch up. Uh, and thank you for that most inspiring story because uh, it makes you think, sit back and uh, about life. And also, like you said, we cling on to things um, when we have so much more uh, than most people out there. But the question that's coming to my mind right now, this was the first time that you embarked on such a project uh, where you were not going to report back. You were just going and being a volunteer. Were you not afraid? Um. I think I was afraid. I think mm -hmm. I was afraid um, that I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't geared up in the sense of, you know, humanitarian work is selfless. I mean, you got to forget everything and you, got, you have to keep reminding yourself of what is your intention of being there. So, if you, you know, I'm, I've never been used to that way. I mean, if you a journalist and you're reporting on TV, yes, you have to worry about, you know, you got to look presentable and credible on TV. Um, you got to say the right things. You got to, you know, um, you've got to balance what you're saying. You've got to be objective. And this was completely different. And I, I think I, re, I realized before I left that there was a level of honesty that was going to be required of me and that I needed to be prepared for that. And I could not do this and, um, you know, be afraid of what, what I was going to see. And I was told that I would be hugely impacted and I would not return home the same person that I was. And that's scary. That is scary because you're not sure what is it that's going to change about you. What is it that you're going to feel before you leave? Um, so, yes, it, they, you know, I was apprehensive. I, I wasn't sure what the program was like. But when I got there and when we were met by the team there, I mean, we were assured of security. We were assured that we would be taken care of. Um, but when I got there, I mean, the assure, I mean, I felt really assured by the people that, you know, um, that, that were leading us. And we, the lady, um, you know, the, that led us is, uh, an amazing woman called uh, Jihan and Jihan studied journalism as well. And then, you know, has been doing humanitarian work for the last 20 years. So <clears throat> I kind of felt, you know, actually this is, this is what I was supposed to do. And I then decided, okay, the program was, I must tell you was intense. We would go out from the morning and return like late at night with very little break in between. I mean, we didn't break at all for lunchtime. We would just have eat when we, you know, we were done for the day. 
So she actually made sure that we maximized on the time that we had there by we went we were in Beirut we were in the south of Lebanon and the north of Lebanon so we basically covered the whole of Lebanon in the time that we were there How many days were um, you there for We left on Wednesday arrived in Lebanon on Thursday morning we worked the entire day on Thursday and then friday saturday sunday monday and we left again on tuesday wow so a short trip but lots uh, that you've done in that period now describe to me in detail what did it feel like when you first arrived at these refugee camps what are some of the feelings and thoughts that you had at that moment personally for you before i get to the refugee camps if i can just tell you about our first day when of we course, went yes. Please you know the site of the Beirut explosion. Yes. Because part of what Africa Muslims Agency's uh, more than a meal campaign does is to support the victims of the Beirut blast. Ah. Now this includes Lebanese citizens, mm-hmm. Muslim and Christian, um refu- the and their program also supports refugees which are Palestinian and Syrian. but the refugees um i mean the the victims of the blast um you know that blast killed more than 200 people it was the worst non nuclear explosion in history and we got to see the site of the blast we got to see the wheat reserves nearby that actually if they were not where they are today that blast would have killed thousands of people so it's actually the reinforced concrete from the wheat reserves nearby that absorbed the shock of the blast wow and yet more than 200 people died 15000 injuries there's still about 100 people that are unaccounted for and 300,000 homeless after the blast so the devastation of that blast is huge now remember the blast happened at the time in lebanon had experienced a revolution the economy is in dire straits then you got this huge catastrophe that happens and then you have covid so this country is going through all these things so can you imagine the impact on the people that live in the country and the first we went to the blast and we we saw the devastation in the surrounding areas we saw the buildings that were destroyed i mean if you look at the rubble you can still see like remnants of things from people's homes and we're walking around there and as we're leaving we bump into this elderly lady you know very frail and she stops she actually stopped me and she speaks to me in arabic and jihan came and spoke to her and we ended up spending an extra half an hour with her because she was crying saying that you came all the way from south africa 
because you think about us and you know you came to help us and it was just it was not on the itinerary just bumped into her and you know she told us about the blast what she was doing how it happened and you know how they've been suffering ever since it took place and later that night we went to a home that um africa muslims agency um aids and we met a father and two of his daughters um they called dina and diana dina is 16 and diana is 18 yes so dina and diana's home is near the site of the explosion they were actually five sisters and their mom and their dad in the explosion they lost three sisters and they lost their mom and dina was under the rubble for 11 hours and she survived wow and next to her lying next to her was her mom and her mom was lying next to her and she was holding her mom and trying to keep her mom alive and her mom passed away and she said in arabic something like and when they translated it it was like you know i'm i'm going to to god and you know it was very the way i understood it it was like inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun to allah we belong and to him, to him do we return and she a mom said that to her and passed away so when she was rescued eventually after 8, 11 hours she then had to have extensive rehabilitation and africa muslim agency you know you know provided that support for her and on the day that we met her she actually took like her first steps with the aid of um a, a walker and she took a couple of steps but extremely frail still and the 16 year old sister then knew that her mom had passed away her sisters had passed away but what and and gina um Jihan found her at the site of the explosion and then tells Jihan what can I do to help because you know they were on the ground now helping victims and seeing whatever they can do for them she volunteered on the spot there having just lost members of her own family hmm. and the father then you know also spoke to us and they now have a new home that africa muslims agency you know arranged for them and they took us to see their rooms and you know welcomed us into their home and he you just see a a very broken man i mean your family of seven and then now you three and they obviously the girls miss their mother and it was really really sad um but the strength of the girls is something that you know that's what i took from them that amid all their pain and all their suffering you know they still they still you know they still living and they still have dreams 
and they still, you know, their dad still takes care of them. Um, so yeah, that was day one, and after day one, I thought, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. this is, you know, this is really <laughs> something. And then yeah. we went to a Leban another family, also a Lebanese family. Um, yeah, the Mirna has a little son, and she needed milk, and she lives with her mother and father. So she needed milk for her like two-year-old, and she said she's just dashing off to the shops. And her mum said, just leave the little boy, Chris, with me, because you're just going, you know, for a quick, you're dashing out. And she said no, and she carried him and she took him. When the blast happened, she lost Chris. And her eyeball mm. popped out of one, popped out of the socket. She held on to, but she was frantically searching for her son. She searched like for a couple of hours, she went to all the hospitals and someone found Chris and took him to the hospital and she found him. And she forgot that her eye, you know, what had happened to her eye. And only after she found him and then she said that was the most joyful moment of her life when she held him and realized she hadn't lost him. And then she went and, you know, had to have her eye attended to. Um, you know, that was very touching. And, and it was like she said, there were three generations when her mom was at home and then called the neighbors and asked them to go out to search for her. She was searching for her son. So it was generations generations that you know at the same time this was happening so yeah some very powerful stories very very indeed now when you got to the refugee camp there must have been some stories from there as well that resonate with you what is one that you'd like to add uh, to the ones you already told us about okay so we went to you know quite a few refugee camps yes. and i think that one that there were there were many that that were you know i i don't think i'll ever forget but the one that i felt you know i felt extremely sad uh you know about was also involving a 16 year old girl and we got to her house and her mom you know, my mom did all the talking, um, told us, you know, about the situation. And when we tried chatting to the, you know, to the young girl, what, what are, you know, what are your dreams? What do you like to do? It is very bland, you know, she was like, nothing. I just want my, I just want to look after my family. But do you, do you have any, you know, hobbies? No. Do you have there was nothing coming out of this girl. And then, you know, we stayed for a while and eventually, um, you know, it emerged that she had been to a granny's house one day and she, they were heating water and she burned. So entire one of her legs is completely burned and scarred. And I, the way I looked at it, 
you know, she was actually depressed. Her mom said, you know, she doesn't go out at all. Um, she doesn't talk to anyone. She's just quiet. And then we sat and we, you know, chatted with her for a little bit. And then she told us that she actually wants to be a photographer. Wow. She wants, she wants to tell the stories of her people. She's a Palestinian refugee. Wants to tell the stories of her people. And that's why she wants to be a photographer. photographer. She wants to tell the stories of the refugees. And what does she like to photograph now? She loves landscapes, um, you know, and she, and then, you know, we said to her, show us some of the pictures you've taken. And she's talented, you know. Um, so it's, I think the point of that whole story was that just the desperation that all I want to do is to help to take care of my family. And she didn't want her mom, her mom goes out to work. Didn't want her mom to go out to work. Um, she just wanted her mom to, you know, just cared for what would happen to her, that she would lose her mom um, and that she'd be left alone. And because she was the eldest of the siblings, I think that that was her concern. And right there were many stories like that, you know, of of children, um, the one little boy whose father had died in a prison in Syria and the granny was then taking care of him and his mom and their and other siblings. But the granny herself was taking care of two disabled children. So she was about 60, but the toll on her, you could see she looked about 20 years older. But she's really this wise old woman, you know, and, and, and we asked her, you know, what advice do you have for us? And she said, you know, never, ever get sad. Never, ever get sad and, and, and ask why you're being afflicted in a certain way or why your life is um, hard. And we said, and, and like, why? What do you do? She said, you never lose faith that God is with you that he will take care of you. And if you, I mean, she carries her, 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 her disabled children. She carries them and, you know, she cares for them physically with her physical strength, apart from mentally. And she had COVID and she had to go to hospital for three or four days. So her neighbors then took care of her, her family while she was away. So it's just the, 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 the huge hearts that these people have that they look after each other. And, you know, even if it's picking leaves and making food from leaves that they've picked, that mothers will go out and do this and still not feel that, you know, I, I, I give up, life is too hard. Um, you know, how do I feed my baby? There's not enough. There's nothing to feed the baby. There's malnutrition, you know, on um, health issues with the children. Yes. And, uh, you know, that and poverty on such a level that 
I think as a parent, I, I you know myself as a parent, I think how do you cope when you can't provide food for your children? When you can't give them the medical treatment that they need? How do you cope as a parent? Um you know and not give up and still have that kind of faith it it was it was such an eye opener and 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 i think that was such a big message for me lastly if you were to sit back and reflect about your trip what are the three life lessons that you've learned and that you'd like to share with us on thinking out loud i think definitely the power of faith and unwavering faith can get you through anything secondly that you should not take anything or any moment or any time in your life for granted and that we here with a purpose and that we should use that time and we should use what we have and we should use the talent and you know just our very existence meaningfully and then i think the third one would be to always remain true to yourself and to make the most of we all have courage and we all have strength and i think we often doubt whether we do have those qualities um and if you stay true to yourself and you tap into that inner strength and that inner courage i think that you know the world has the world is waiting for that and 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 we shouldn't waste any time in 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 in, in not giving back to what the world is waiting for from us as individual people and it's not about you know who you are it's every one of us it's not me that was you know had the special gift to give on this trip and me that did you know experience something amazing every one of us has that courage and that bravery and we need to do we need to to tap into it and to use it and to get it out there it's within us and i absolutely have from what i've seen in the last week from the people and of lebanon um the people in the refugee camps it is so clear that human beings have that resilience and that strength within them and in our cases we're not tested on that level where we we need to you know to to harness that but i think that we should and we must thank you so much hasina katrada for chatting to us right here and thinking out loud thank you rias over the next couple of weeks we feature a variety of guests who will help us find answers to questions we often think about but really ask on thinking out loud this is riyal safi saying thank you so much for listening till the next episode bye for now